The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight, we are finally talking about selling out. That's right. We're going to talk about Aeronautica Imperialis. So, because all of us have sold out and we've, we've drunk the Games Workshop Kool-Aid. Games Workshop owns our souls. We've brought the entire team back to talk about this horrible, horrible thing we've done with gaming. We're most excited that because of the cancellation of his Gates of Antares podcast, Casey is able to join us tonight. Casey, how are you doing? Yes, I'm so excited to be here. I'm sorry about the podcast. First Cruel Seas, now Gates of Antares. Let's hope... Uh, so I hear that you're going to change the name of your podcast to Games Kicked Over to Skytrex and Not Loved Anymore. That's kind of a long name. I'm not sure iTunes <laughs> yes. will support that, but... It is. We can find a good abbreviation. <laughs> well, and as usual, uh, we have our one and only former Army Ranger, Snake Eater, and the nicest guy all around until you move his models, Brett Cantor. Brett, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing great. Happy to be here. I'm a kinder, gentler person. You're a kinder, gentler person, but you, you get that look if I touch your dice or move your models. So uh, fair warning to those who play Brett at a convention. Uh, and of course, we have the world famous... Steve Toth, the only man that Donald Trump grabbed by the short and curlies. Steve, so good to have you on the podcast tonight. I, I don't know if I can take that honor all by myself. I'm sure there's some other ones out there, but I do appreciate it. Well, you were at the Mr. Universe you know, convention, so it, it, that's, that's how it had to happen. Well, anyway, with all those introductions aside, let's talk a little bit about schedule because we've been ignoring our usual flow, ignoring the topics we normally talk about, trying to get some really nice episodes out that, that actually focus on us not talking about us. But we're going to talk about us for at least a few minutes. So there is a big gap in our schedule, uh, generally because we have lives and families and like to hang out with people who use deodorant. But we will be coming back to the gaming convention circuit. First event, uh, 20 to 24 July-ish, Twisted Lords, Oklahoma City. I know we originally said we'd all be there. Um, It... We didn't lie, did we? We just, we, we misrepresented the truth, I guess. It just kind of, we were hopeful. We were hopeful. We thought the stars would align. Uh, well, the stars didn't align. So we're leaving Casey holding the bag. Good luck, Casey. We're all counting on you. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Hope everybody exactly. loves Gates of Antares. We'll be running a commemorative last Gates of Antares game there <laughs> under Lead Pursuit Podcast. <laughs> no. Uh, so we will be running some Blood Red Skies. Obviously, Casey and I haven't determined exactly what his schedule will bear, uh, but there are uh, opportunities that, you know, every day to play Blood Red Skies. There's definitely going to be an area set aside for it. John, of course, will have his models, whether the Bismarck, the Midway, all the aircraft there. 
So please come play Blood Red Skies, hang out with a bunch of other Blood Red Skies players, make Casey feel like he's loved and not totally been cast out of the gaming community because he wears an I Love Gates of Antares shirt. Um, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll definitely be there. Um, I plan on running at least something. Like every day, I'll try to bring like lots of our planes and our prints to show off. Especially the new B seven wait, wait, and stuff like that. Maybe did someone say B seventeens? There's B seventeens. Oh, oh my god! Tell us about those B seventeens. Oh man, uh, I think we should talk to the person who created that guy's them. Who a designed them. I don't like talking to him anyway. Oh, uh, Steve, you're still on the podcast. Sorry, man. I, th- I thought thought we kicked you off. <laughs> Are they actually released? So that yeah, the, they, yeah. The, you okay. cannot buy them off the the Lead Pursuit site quite yet. We're trying to build all the excitement because people are just beating down the door to get to these things for us. But no, they will be out there shortly. I have in, in hand uh, a number of E's and F's. Uh, we'll have some G's here soon, but they will be print to order. So <laughs> that's for a couple of reasons because I like Casey. I want to, him to still be my friend and not hate my guts. Uh, and if I ask him to print up 70 of these B-17s, he might never speak to me again and tell me exactly where I can put all that resin. Um, and it doesn't have a suction cup on the bottom yeah. of the B-17, so it won't be any, that enjoyable. Uh, I heard they were released, but I wasn't sure if it was some kind of like Doc Brown alternate universe thing. I just kind of like... It almost is. Lost all hope uh, on it. Well, you know, after after Casey shamed me about, you know, not releasing the information by literally having his daughter ask the question, you know, I'm like, really? When even the kids have to be brought in to to shame me about this. B-17s are coming. Uh, Go check out the website and you'll see the order there. It will take some time. Please be patient. They're beautiful. Um, and also realize that the guns love to break off in shipping. So I recommend you invest in brass rod or paper clips. <laughs> but they are, they're awesome. They look really good. Yeah. If, uh, if people buy a bunch yeah, of uh, PVC ship marker, I mean, uh, uh, neoprene ship markers, target markers to go with those B-17s, they can probably be packaged in such a way to extra, you know, provide extra protection. <laughs> exactly. The- Package the extra <laughs> neoprene around it. Maybe that'll work. I hope. I doubt it. No, Steve, you did a fantastic job on those. Yeah, they were they're awesome. I'm, I'm looking uh, looking forward to a selling them and b actually getting around to putting some on the table here soon. Okay, so after, uh, or I should say, the same weekend as Twisted Lords Historicon, uh, I know that Steve has stuff he has to do that weekend, but Steve will probably put in an appearance, maybe in costume, maybe with a feather boa, maybe doing the seven veils dance. I don't know. But Steve will be there uh, to at least uh, talk to people, see what's going on at Historicon, uh, and not be running any lead pursuit events. So, so sorry. We'll get to it later. <laughs> I'll probably, I would say I'll definitely, definitely be there the Friday. Maybe sneak in a couple of uh, aerodrome games, get a few more kills so I can climb the leaderboard against you guys in that. I don't know. I we'll have to see. Maybe find me at the aerodrome table if you're at Historicon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that will be good. Well, speaking of cons Aerodrome will be at, the next one we're going to do is NashCon, 16 to 18 August. Uh, There will be a Blood Red Skies tournament. There might be an AI event. I was just talking uh, with Bryant Williams uh, tonight about events and tables and figuring out where we could fit back into that event. Um, We will probably go back to the lobby because it was nice to have so much table area. But uh, obviously trying to do a number of aerial war games there. So please show up. Please come play Blood Red Skies. And we may even do some AI there if table space and everything else permits. But once again, that'll be me because it's in my backyard and I'll drive up to Nashville and, and host those events. The big one, 
that we have on the calendar right now is Crucible in Orlando, and that is 30 September through 2 October. That will be Blood Red Skies and Aeronautic Imperialis both. We've been talking with with both teams to, to work our way through that. Uh, once again, BRS may or may not be a tournament. We're not sure about table availability now. Uh, that will we'll kind of work that out as we get closer. But that's going to be our big event because, Brett, you're planning on being there, right? Driving down for at least part of it. Steve, you as well. Well, Casey, that just leaves you as the odd man out. So no shame if you can't make it. We, we totally understand. I mean, you... And last week, I just got my vacation approval. <laughs> All right. I'll be there. So, <laughs> unless it's stand stand to be stand by to the stand by to the backup to get exactly. called in. Anyone be there, I guess. <laughs> I need people to buy B-17 <laughs> exactly. so I can afford to go. But I'll this be is there. a Kickstarter for uh, Casey getting to uh, Crucible. <laughs> so, here's the deal we obviously pulled a fast one on you. Fooled you into thinking that uh, we'd all be at Twisted Lords, so you'd spend your money and buy your plane tickets so we don't have to see you all at Crucible. We fooled you, right? Um, yeah, no, please, please come out. Uh, please play Blood Red Skies and Aeronautica. We'll see how many tables of each we have. Uh, the request went in for a standard, I'll say standard, size Blood Red Skies tournament, eight players, four tables. But if there's interest, we can easily expand that uh, to a larger setup. So anyway, those... Is Crucible, is that going to make it like an official gathering of Eagles? Is that going to be GOE3? Are we going to put that, that in the book? That or? might be what we should call it. I think if we do that, uh, I just got to finish my negotiations with the Crucible team and make sure that we, we have the uh, the space and everything to do that. And and hopefully we can. Hopefully make it GOE 2022 because certainly I'm not going back to New Orleans. I can't afford that. All right, so let's skip on to the main topic of Aeronautica Imperialis. As as I said in the show notes, part one, we are going to obviously take more than one episode to talk our way through it. There is a little bit that we talked about last week with our Adepticon debrief, I guess we should call it. And we're going to talk more in depth about the game, but we're going to go even more in depth over time, especially as we get a chance to play through more of the factions, more of the different aerial armies, and more of the expanded rules. Because right now, we've really kind of dipped our toes into it. We all seem to like it, but there's a lot more depth to the game that we haven't played through. You know, kind of like when we got into Blood of Red Skies and we were waiting for Airstrike to come out and all we played was scenario one dogfight. So there's there's a lot more that we want to play through that we want to talk about with all of you on the podcast and obviously uh, to integrate into uh, aeronautic imperialis events that we do around the country. So the first thing I wanted to kind of laugh about is how we all got started in playing AI. And I'm not sure who bears the blame. I'm not taking the blame on this one. I'm, I'm putting it squarely at Steve's feet. <laughs> I'm not. T- I mean, I'm not taking a blame on AI. I mean, where would that come? From? I, th- I, th- I think you bought the first spaceships. I'm going to blame you. You and Casey, Casey are the are the the major uh, promoters and enablers here. It, Casey it, just sent me a big batch of more models and stuff. enablers. I'm and so you gave insulted. Me a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Casey, how did we fall down this? I hole? think it was just a natural progressive. I think we just, you know, they were advertising the heck out of it. And I mean, we all have always played 40K and, you know, we drink the Games Workshop Kool-Aid. I think it was just a natural thing that had to happen. 
aerial war games, 40K. Yeah, what's not out? to like? like well, except on. buying whole new armies and buying them a starter set at a time, which was good, because at least we split yeah. that amongst most everybody. Oh, Brett's breaking out all of his fancy schmancy 3D printed <laughs> ones. Um, but, you know, I think that's also an important thing to talk about how we all got started in it. We We did split starter kits. We did figure out, you know, what what factions everyone wanted to play because it's pretty easy to get going down a slippery slope here where you buy a bunch of starter kits and all of a sudden you have six different factions. Uh, and, and that's not where I wanted to be. So I was happy to pawn off a lot of the other stuff that I'd picked up. Um, but let's talk a little bit about how the game itself plays, uh, especially for the blood red skies and the two check your six players that actually listen to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> let's explain to them how AI plays. So they can kind of understand why they ought to get into the game. It is obviously a hex-based game. We've talked about that uh, a couple times as we've addressed Aeronautica. It uses, I'll call, semi-pre-plotted moves. Uh, Casey, how would you describe this pre-plotted movement to to be different than Check Your Six? Well, I mean, with Check Your Six, you know, you have your sheet, and you kind of have to... God, it's been forever since I did this, and I blocked out some of it. Yeah, exactly. We've we've forgotten Um, how it works because it sucks so bad. Sorry. You know, they have like a sheet and you kind of plot it out, but there's a lot more with AI. There's only eight maneuvers you can do, but that's total. Some of your aircraft can only do maybe four or six of those maneuvers. So I don't think there's as much to keep track of within it. And where I think Check Your Six had a lot more, to, and you had to look at a lot more like altitude and some other variables. Yeah, and, and there's it. flexibility in those maneuvers. So when we say you have something less, unless you're the Eldari and you're cheating, have all eight maneuvers. Uh, but, you know, if you have some subset of those maneuvers, there's flexibility. You, you choose the maneuver, and then when you execute it during your activation, you pick, am I going left, am I going right? And then you pick how far you're doing each parts of this you know, curving, arcing, shifting maneuver. Yeah, and with Check Your Six, you have to say, like, I'm going right yeah. and stuff like that. I'm sure I said that wrong, and Rob's going to write you <laughs> He's going to write me hate mail, and as he always does, every show. time I mock Check Your Six. <laughs> yeah. Rob, and you had to do it, But you. you're right, though. You, know, there's some, <laughs> there, you do have some flexibility in those maneuvers, which is actually really nice, depending on yeah. what's going on yeah. in the game. And I, I think it, it gives it a little bit of tactical flexibility so that you don't end up, as we talk about, with X-Wing or some other pre-plotted systems where you turn left, they turn right, and it now takes you two turns, three turns to get back together. Um, Brett, Steve, what were y'all's takes on the pre-plotted movement? I think that that's the probably the biggest like learning curve, I guess, is figured out the moves be, because, um, like you said, there is so much variety in the moves. You know, there's several different maneuvers, but then the choices you can make in that particular maneuver, you have a lot of options. So it's it's not each maneuver isn't purely boilerplate. And right. I think Steve's probably the, the fastest one to kind of see the matrix in that, like kind of visualizing where things can be. I'm still working to figure out where things will be. I'm Out of the games I played, I think by the end of several games, I got to where I felt reasonably confident that I could get my aircraft in a particular place on the board. But I'm still not able to see like multiple turns ahead. I think that's kind of your your strength, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, what? How did it work out for you doing going to a hex based and then pre plotted or semi pre plotted move? I actually I really like it, and uh, you know, having just watched some of the tutorials and stuff, uh, wasn't sure how it was going to work out until you actually get on the board. 
But like Casey and Brett were saying, there's so much flexibility within the moves that even if you pick the wrong maneuver, there's a fairly good chance that you might not get to the exact spot that you wanted to, but you can still get your ship into the right general area of the board where you want it to be, which, you know, is different than like you were saying with X-Wing or some of those ones that have more restrictive pre-plotted moves. Yeah, there's only a couple really restrictive moves in there. And generally, you're you're only using those to try to kill somebody or try to get exactly into, into their six o'clock after you've flown past them or something like that. So I, I found myself just staying away from those moves because I just, I really didn't need them. I could do almost everything I wanted uh, with the rest of the pre-plotted moves. And you had that flexibility that you change how far you're moving in between turns. There's a sup- certain minimum uh, or certain fixed number of turns you have to make, uh, but you get to kind of have flexibility in between them of, of how much how you spend those movement points. Well, unlike Check Your Six that has a bazillion altitude bands and even goes to different tables for altitude bands, AI has six altitudes. It obviously has altitude zero for the ground, so you can both crash or land or some combination of those two. And then it has altitude blocks one through five that are your atmospheric altitude blocks. There are special rules that will sometimes condense that down to two altitude blocks. So you have zero, one, and two. So you can land and you can do other low altitude operations and you don't have to play with the whole altitude block uh, levels. And there's also the ability to exit the board from into space, basically, from some of the scenarios and go out. Once you leave above altitude five, then you've exited the board. So there's there's altitude play that's really important in there because you can only shoot other aircraft that are within one altitude block of you. So uh, if you do like I did and not stand up and announce to everybody all the altitude you're working at and Brett flies to that perfect tailing position and finds out that I'm at altitude one when he's at altitude five, uh, there's at least a moment of satisfaction there <laughs> as you're safe and you aren't getting shot. But it's it's obviously a generic representation. We're talking about super space weapons, um, but they're not shooting through multiple altitude blocks. There's also a variety of speeds you can fly um, from some really slow aircraft and, and aircraft will have a minimum speed. They'll have a maximum speed. Uh, how you perform in those bands uh, varies from aircraft to aircraft. There's also uh, you know, this variety of maneuvers we talked about. So th- with these semi-pre-plotted moves, you might be flying an Arvis lighter, a shuttle that only has like moves one through five or maybe one through six. You could be an Imperial fighter with one through seven. You could be the Eldari cheaters. I mean, the Eldari, uh, you know, space elves that have, you know, moves one through eight. So, the aircraft will vary, and they'll also vary by class, whether they're bombers, fighters, uh, scouts. They'll all have a, a different variety of what, what they call ace maneuvers. But these ace maneuvers are not restricted to the ace pilots. Those are just the maneuvers you do out there. Uh, the game also has stalls and spins. We really haven't ended up in any of those situations yet. Uh, they There's ways to make it difficult to shoot you by spinning, uh, by stalling and doing other things like that. But uh, we generally haven't run into those situations in the games we've played. One of the big distinctions that a lot of people, it seems, have initially had a little bit of a hang-up with for realism, but have enjoyed once they realize how easy the math is, is there's three fixed range bands in the game. And so it's obviously hexes one through four is short range, five through seven is your medium range, and then uh, eight, nine, ten is your long range. And so it's really straightforward to know what the range bands are. 
but each weapon performs differently inside that. So you may have a las cannon that rolls four dice at medium range and two dice at long range, but can't shoot at short range. So it has zero dice. So there's each weapon feels a little bit different. Uh, some of them are super deadly at short range. Brett, I think sometimes your your Eldari were rolling like eight dice at short range. Yeah, eight dice is pretty typical for me for short range, but that's all I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and there's you know certain craft like the Eldari, like uh, some of the orc craft that are all short range, and they get a little bit of medium range firepower, but but not a whole lot. So each of the factions, races, aerial armies plays a little bit differently. I know. Uh, I, I tend to get beat up with the Space Marines because you think you want to close with the enemy and you don't. They tend to be a medium range uh, kind of army. Um, but but every one of them feels different. I don't know. You know, Casey, you and I got to play uh, a game out there in Texas and, and you've obviously gone through the rules, played some games. What what were your thoughts on how the range bands, even though they're they're constrained in fixed ranges, how they felt to play with? I liked it because there's only three, so it was nice to know, like, hey, okay, so for example, uh, I fly Imperial Navy. I could take my Thunderbolt and do the Avenger Cannon, and it gets seven dice at medium range, which is awesome. I mean, yeah. that thing would tear yeah. stuff up, but on the other hand, if I'm thinking about, okay, I'm going to be facing, uh, you know, Eldari, we're going to be a lot of short ranges, I can switch to the Auto Cannons, and I think they, I had to look, but they get more dice. You know, you have some options, at least with each aircraft, with their weapon options. So, hey, if I'm going to be in a close-in knife fight, you know, I'm going to get these guns. So I really like that, how I'm not stuck with, oh, Imperial Navy, these, you know, Avenger cannons. I can only, I can't, I'm defenseless at short range. Yeah, that, that would you be know, us in the, in the Space Marines with some of our weapons. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, that, that comes down to take a look at, at the profiles and, and learning the profiles and learning what optional weapons are good. Because there are short-range marine weapons, but most everybody changes them out for uh, longer-range missiles. But the the game, and we'll talk about it with some of the uh, the upgrades, allows you to kind of customize your aircraft so that you can either compensate for those weaknesses, or you get really cool range-based effects like Brett, your hollow fields for the Eldari. I mean, that had totally goofy, different saves and different range bands, right? That's right. Yeah, it has. I can save more against long range. So every natural six for a long range hit, I can force a reroll. <clears throat> At medium range, I only get to do that once. Right. So right. I can start shucking off dice, you know, like hits are bouncing off my hollow fields and it's more powerful at long range. So even though I can't shoot back, I might be able to avoid getting hit right. in the first place. And, and live long enough to get into close range. So we're not going to go into necessarily all the mechanics of how you shoot, how to do hits, and how to do damage and all those things in this podcast, but it it will feel very familiar to 40K players. In a sense, you'll have a specific role to hit, and that will be modified. You'll have a role to damage, and then there will be a variety of saves, for lack of a better term, your aircraft can have. And you know each faction has different names to... Uh, what they are. So like if you have, uh, if you're flying Space Marines, uh, cockpit armor or armored cockpit is your six up save. So that gives you anytime you take a point of damage, six up save, that point of damage goes away. There are other kinds of armor like ceramite plating that reduces the ability of things to do extra damage, more than one point of damage. So some weapons are super powerful. When you roll them, they have a capability to cause extra damage to the aircraft then things like ceramite plating take away those odds. We'll we'll talk through more specifics as we do a tactics kind of episode. 
and break down each of the factions uh, in more detail. But there's a lot of options out there. So that, to me, kind of made it cool. Um, Steve, I know at one point, I think we were getting in, in option overload uh, when we had been uh, you know, planning some of our forces to play a game. Uh, what, how did you kind of feel working through the range bands? And, and obviously, you're playing Eldari you're using uh, Brett's models while we're up there at, at Adepticon. How did all that work out for you for picking up a new game and, and not having like discrete ranges for each of your weapons? You know, Laz Cannon shoots zero to 12 hexes or whatever. I actually really like it. Uh, I think it just really adds a lot of variety to the game and it gives you just, again, more options, you know, and more to think about when you're using those pre-plotted moves. So I feel like it kind of takes those pre-plotted moves and it still gives you like more options. So the moves don't quite feel as canned every time. I don't know. I, I really like the range bands and I thought it was super easy and super intuitive. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a barrier to entry or yeah, complicated yeah. or anything like that. I, at I all. think for a lot of us, though, that played Blood Event Skies, there's always that that desire to get really super close. And and for me, especially Space Marines, not having any short range weapons the way I'd configured my fighters, it was kind of funny that I had to when I looked at each of the maneuvers, remind myself, you're a medium range aircraft. You need to stay five hexes away from everybody. And then play this game where maybe I would get close to one of your Brett's fighters, but I'm actually shooting at somebody that's further across the board so that that way I'm, I'm staying in the in the right range band for those aircraft or vice versa. You know, you and Brett both trying to close with me and me doing everything in my power to to fend you off and keep you outside of uh, outside of four hexes of range. The one thing that I did find really kind of surprising with it is on inch and a half hexes. 10 hexes is like really far away. So when you're like programmed at that six inch shooting with blood <laughs> yeah. red skies, you know, 10 hexes is like two and a half feet across the board or whatever it is. So that was kind of like, yeah, you that, know, that was a brain. That, that was the there. funny thing is that I know for me to get used to the fact that people could shoot me at long range, or I could also take those shots at long range. And it just, I, I wasn't used to it because of blood red skies. So that was, that was definitely a mind shift to try to, you know, have the right eyeball calibration. Remember, oh yeah, I can threaten those guys uh, with my weapons. Well, much like Blood Red Skies, they also have aces in the game. There are generally not as many, not as wide a variety of normal ace skills. Uh, there are some ace skills that are opened up that are unlocked in campaign play. There's a lot more of those, and actually a ton of them just dropped, I guess, in the newest White Dwarf. So there's a lot of options there that seem really cool. I haven't I haven't taken a good opportunity to look through all of the ace skills in the latest White Dwarf article, but there, there's just a lot of cool things. And I'm sure there's some that are broken, just like in Blood Red Skies. You know, there's there's broken uh, cards for theater doctrine and ace skills. It's going to be the same way in uh, in AI. But it, go ahead. You know, speaking of that, that new real quick, that newest White Dwarf, that's a must have. That's a lot of AI content in that magazine for not very much money. So you're saying I have to go to the Warhammer store it has, tomorrow and buy it. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Or if you have the internet, you can order it. <laughs> Why would I do that? But yeah, did you, I don't know if you saw all that stuff it has, like the campaign rules for setting it up to make your own aces. Like that's definitely, if you're going to get into this game, I would yeah, recommend I, getting I that. I was talking with Trevor and I know we'd kind of batted the idea around. I think... This would be one of those fun convention weekend things to play because the games are so short and where you could play a game in the morning, take a break, resolve all your your campaign work, 
play a game in the afternoon or the late evening, take a break, come back the next day. And you, you could cycle a game every time block or, you know, however you wanted to do it, even if you went as little as a game a day and just have the cool, you know, growing of aces between the games and seeing how, how that changed, how people's forces behaved. So um, I, I think that's one of the things we'd love to do at some point is do, as I call it, a, a hop in, hop out kind of campaign where you're not necessarily playing against the same people, but you're all hitting the same wickets. And if you don't attend all of the games, you don't get that many opportunities to upgrade your pilots, but also means your pilots don't die near as often. <laughs> right, Brett? <laughs> Just about the time you grow one. So the uh, I, I think that's something we had to look at doing and figure out how to fit that into the, uh, the GOE slash Lead Pursuit convention schedule. Okay, so there's also a lot more advanced rules in the Aeronautica Imperialis Compendium, the one that has the two Necron fighters on the cover. Super cool stuff in there, but it it tends to slow the game down, uh, add some more levels of complexity. Have not played it with with those rules yet, so I, I really can't say whether I like them or not. I need to get a couple games in here if I could break Matt out of baby land and get him to actually go to the game store uh, then <laughs> then I'd get a couple games in and figure out if I like uh, those new extended damage rules because they seem kind of cool um, but they also uh, could make it a little bit more ponderous Brett was there anything else on your end that you know you'd seen in the overview things that were similar to blood red skies or different that you really wanted to bring up for players who, who are thinking you know what what is the game like how is it different than what we're used to playing well, the list building, I think, was familiar with the you know the points constraints and everything. I think most of the games we played, we were playing 150 points lists, yeah. which is pretty small, small enough that you could field a force, but you're probably not. Maybe it's different from my faction because maybe I'm a little more on the spindy side, but I felt like I could field an adequate number of of aircraft, but I probably couldn't go too deep on any kind of upgrades or special right. weapons or anything like that. Well, and it seems 125 get, to 150 is about where a lot of people play because it's not a super high model count. allows them to have some upgrades. Uh, we did play a couple 250 games uh, in the narrative uh, series that we played at, at Adepticon. But I think 150 is kind of the easy sweet spot. I found that to be pretty familiar to what we experience in Blood Red Skies, depending on, you know, your faction choice, you know, what planes you like to fly. You know, you, you run into that same constraint, like, oh, I can only get this many planes if I have, you know, this pilot skill and you're playing that game of trying to balance out, uh, you know, your, your points for your list. Uh, there is no pilot skill piece, I guess, outside of aces, you know, there's that expense in AI too, but, uh, just the, you know, the cost of your aircraft and the cost of your upgrades, that's a thing like we're already used to experiencing in Blood Red Skies. Yeah, I guess Casey was flying the equivalent of Yaks uh, as the Imperial Navy with <laughs> all the fairly uh, cheap fighters, unless you bought like the Fury or some of the other ones. Yeah, I needed a lot of planes yeah, to get on the yeah. board. <laughs> like every upgrade taken. Yeah, well, and, and that was the funny part, seeing how you know some of these forces have room for upgrades. Other ones, you really have to get rid of a, an aircraft out of your mix to be able to put any upgrades on. So it, that, that 125 to 150 is kind of a fluid number, I think, uh, that there are rules that if you show up and you've spent more or less that it's okay because they know the numbers aren't going to come out perfectly, but it just it shuffles how the initiative order goes a little bit. Uh, if you're the, the underdog player who's significantly less than, the, uh, than their opponent. Steve, how did, uh, how did list building and everything work out for you? It seemed fairly straightforward to 
you know, pick and choose with the cards and everything else. Yeah, I really liked it. I also liked uh, getting on Battle Scribe, you know, and just kind of like playing around with that stuff. I felt like, I don't know, I just think that's always kind of like a fun thing to do, right? Just kind of see where you can add those upgrades or, uh, you know, what ships you want to sub in and out and whatnot. So yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed the list building aspect of it. I've built like, I don't know, like 40 of what I would consider like the perfect tournament lists at this point, you know, but yeah, I mean, I just spend my, spend my days of work when I'm supposed to be actually working, just toiling around on Battlescribe now, trying to <laughs> come up with new lists. That only gets worse the more we play this game. But that's, that's good though, that the, for me, you know, people list build different ways. Uh, Battlescribe is, is super cool, super easy to use. I actually use the cards uh, and it's really easy for me to lay out the cards and, and do it that way because it lists um, all of your effects and everything. And so I kind of have a visual representation of, of what I'm picking up and then just total that up. And, you know, it's, I'm still only dealing with five fighters and maybe two upgrades each. So it's not that difficult uh, to do. And, and really most of the aircraft are fairly close in price. I think there's a few outliers like orcs and Imperial Navy that, uh, that are the cheap aircraft, um, because they're supposed to fly so many of them. But it seemed at least between uh, the Eldari and uh, Space Marines um, and Tau, their numbers were were fairly close. But we'll we'll talk about that yeah you know, more in more detail uh, in a separate episode. Anything else anyone wants to talk about? Just the core game kind of itself. I would say you know to compare it to Blood Red Skies, just super low barrier to entry, just as far as like learning to play it. Right, I feel like. Same kind of thing as Blood Red Skies. You could sit down 20 minutes later, have a, a fairly, you know, comprehensive knowledge base of how to play. And then, of course, you have all the bolt-on bolt add-ons when you start doing scenarios and stuff like that. But I thought that really compared to Blood Red Skies really well, just how easy it is to pick up the basic mechanics and get comfortable with the game system. Yeah, I thought it was really straightforward. And most everybody picked it up pretty quickly sometimes there were maneuver questions but the nice thing is on the back end of the the uh, quick uh, reference guide there's a quick reference guide for all the maneuvers sometimes the drawings aren't exactly intuitive but once you explain people how what the what the encoding on it was they understood how to use uh, use that for the maneuvers so i th i thought most everybody picked it up very quickly then there's obviously the nuances of altitude and some of the other uh, special rules for landing shuttles or transports or things like that that you have to work through but those are are fairly fair i'll say they're fairly straightforward sometimes they're hard to implement which kind of goes to one of the points i made in the aeronautica facebook group that i think it's perfectly acceptable to play these scenarios and if you don't understand the whole special rule just shorten the rule or play some derivative of it. Cause like when we did all the shuttle missions, we didn't play shuttles with the full acceleration deceleration kind of, kind of game uh, that normally you have limited fuel, you know, all those th kind of things that, that the, uh, the Arvis lighters are supposed to use because when you put all those together, they're kind of a hard airplane to fly. And that wasn't the point of our scenario to learn how to fly an Arvis lighter to go uh, evacuate dudes. The, the point was to fly things around that were going to shoot each other. So, 
You know, another thing is to kind of echo Brett, whenever we, I mean, excuse me, Steve, whenever we did, ran that event a couple of weeks ago, a lot of those guys that played, they'd only played, what, one game? You've been zero. off the podcast so long you forgot and, who's who. I just I just want to clarify that. Phones <laughs> <laughs> well, have to work for a living. But I mean, saying that like, you know, there wasn't for a game for someone who has only played one or two games at the most, there wasn't that many game or technical questions right, right. for an event. I was really surprised by that. And that just goes to show like, you know, it's fairly straightforward and a lot of the nuances, they've addressed those in the rule book so they could just go and look at it. But those guys, we had two people what that had never played before and right, they just picked right. it up like that. So that says a lot, I think, about I, the And game I think system. that also says a lot about the that the scenarios, at least that, that they have published, are fairly straightforward. There's still some some kind of quirky loopholes and things you have to come up with with them. But if you if you look at it not through a 40k competitive scenario mindset, but if you look at it as a narrative scenario, most everybody could figure out what they were supposed to do. I know there was some complaints from, I guess it was the previous games day that they did a a large AI quote unquote tournament. And they used the scenarios from one of the expansions, and that did not go well at all because the scenarios are really unbalanced. Uh, I think they're really fun scenarios, but they, yeah, they're not—they're not the kind of thing you do in in tournament competitive play. So there's going to be a uh, interesting dynamic just in the community as to who wants to play what. Do people want to play really canned tournament games, or do they want to play super cool narrative games? And we'll see. I guess I can. Do you remember the battle? The guys played where uh, he was orcs and Eldari, and they just yeah. ran straight at each yeah. other, like yeah. no maneuvering. <laughs> they just like right into each other yeah. and let loose. So, so that was. <laughs> so, I mean, play yeah. it like you want to have exactly. fun. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that there were, were several ones like that that were kind of funny that uh, people didn't necessarily play to their advantages, um, but uh, that that kind of brings us to another point of a lot of the games that we played had terrain and people say, what the hell is terrain in Aeronautica Imperialis? Uh, but they had both targets that were out there that you could bomb or shoot. They had buildings you had to avoid or, you know, things that you, you wanted to use as cover. Uh, because once again, the special rules in the scenarios and in the game, they have a lot of different variety in there for whether you want to use limited altitudes, like we talked about earlier, where you just have zero, one and two as your valid altitudes, do you want to be able to, you know, have line of sight blocking terrain, things like that, that aren't in the normal dogfight part of the game? And I think where where AI has kind of got its bad reputation is people, just like Blood Red Skies, are only playing a dogfight scenario, and they're not playing any of the other cool things. Uh, I know Brett, Steve, we played a couple different games with targets and terrain. You know how did how did you guys feel about that? Because it wasn't it wasn't as complex as the scenarios that Casey and I were playing in Texas, but we were playing at least our games with with things that influenced the battle. You all, you know, the first couple of games I played without any kind of terrain or mission sets like that, I never changed my speed or my altitude. But as soon as you throw a target in there, you know, some kind of terrain piece that represents a target, you know, now all of a sudden, of course, in order to even get to that, you have to at least adjust your altitude, if not your speed. So that was kind of cool. And the thing where it really excited me, though, was when we played the event at Adepticon where we had a lot of the tables had different terrain and stuff. I played the one that had the big um, Sky Fortress landing right. pad or whatever. <laughs> that was pretty cool. But there were other tables that had lots of, you know, big things that I didn't get to play on, but it looked like, you know, you had to 
be mindful of that stuff because you could collide with it perhaps and you have to maneuver around it. So I, I was kind of excited to get a chance to play some stuff like that too. Yeah, it was not constrained uh, as much as the combined arms 40K event that Casey and I were at in Texas where you literally had some of those obstacles that were both your objective and an obstacle. So you had to fly around it for a turn and, you know, do radio relays for your kill teams, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. But I think there's, there's a opportunity to just do cool stuff in the missions. And especially if you're just playing with your buddies and you're not worried about a competitive setting, just come up with something cool that, that you interact with the terrain, whether it's line of sight blocking, whether they are targets you have to shoot, give them a variety of hit points, whatever. Um, Because in my opinion, I think the, the new, Adeptus Titanicus terrain that they've released. So the, the Manufactorum, the Spires, and then the regular Civitas terrain, I think it works great for AI. You know, I know you guys all saw the boards that we, we put out there. What did y'all think, you know, terrain wise, terrain? Yes. Terrain. No. Oh, they were awesome. I loved playing on the, I played on the one board that it wasn't, the terrain wasn't necessarily a part of the scenario scenario. It was just a dogfight right. uh, mission, but the terrain was just so cool having to be mindful of even just flying around it or a couple times i kind of like did a maneuver where i like kind of slid into it and then the terrain was kind of blocking my six o'clock oh yeah uh i thought the terrain was like a blood red skies cloud (laughs) i think it looks awesome you know i think it just adds an extra thing to that game uh and it just made me think of all the kind of ways you could play like i was thinking about like oh it'd be cool to have some kind of like canyon run to like dart through or it'd oh, be yeah. cool to you know i, I mean i think there's just a, a lot of different things that the terrain really really could open up other two <laughs> any observations no, I'm going to echo him. I just think it really brings something different. You don't see in aerial war games, you don't really see terrain. You know, you don't see that flying low like we see on the movies, you know, flying between the bridge underneath it, stuff like that. And that gives you kind of a sense of it. And just like the immensity of the Sky Fortress on the table was just cool. Like everybody that walked by was like, whoa, 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 what is that? You know, it was really an attention grabber and it just really brought something and made the whole yeah, table you- pop. So no, I really do like the. You got the victimized, uh, Casey, by the uh, by the GM run <laughs> Sky Fortress. Fortunately, everyone at Adepticon had had player run Sky Fortress, so they didn't get the punitive Sky Fortress shooting you because you did well. After <laughs> squatting exactly. down you, by if it, if you rolled well, I shot you. If you rolled poorly, I shot you. If you shot at me, I shot you. Uh, well, you know, and the big thing is too is you know we all grew up with these like aerial at least like uh you know. Trying to think like fighter pilot type movies and stuff. You know, they're down on the ground, they're flying between bridges and canyons and stuff. And you don't see that on a Blood Red Skies yeah, table yeah. or a Check Your Six table or whatever table where this, like, you know, it's cool. You're seeing it there. You know, you're imagining yourself flying in between these canyons and these spires and stuff. So I think it's actually probably one of the cooler yeah, things I've I ever seen. I was really pleasantly surprised how good the terrain looked there because I was kind of afraid that, you know, you have a fixed you know, size of the models and some of them have larger wings, smaller wings that some of them really overhang the, the two inch base. Uh, but by kind of making it that six hex ring of terrain, you could put a reasonable size piece of terrain and then your models didn't run into it when they did a Steve Toth, you know, 
sidle up next to it and hide their butt up against the uh, <laughs> up against the terrain. <laughs> Although I did see one guy. Some of those spires. I don't know. Some of those spires. I think somebody did have their butts well, hit. Up I was about to say one of the one of those guys uh, definitely ran into one at one point. I know because the question came up. He's like, "Uh, so what do I have to roll again now that I've flowed into the terrain?" <laughs> so that was uh, that was pretty funny. But uh, I, I think it's kind of cool to do it with the terrain. I think it I think it adds a lot more flavor, a lot more of the forty k kind of lore. Uh, to the to the scenario rather than just a bunch of space World War II fighters flying at each other. So let's talk a little bit about how you get into the game. There there were a series of starter boxes that Games Workshop released. Uh, I haven't checked on Amazon recently, but as of even a couple months ago, you could still find all of them out there. I know today or was it yesterday on Facebook, one of the guys mentioned the, all the starter sets are out of print on the GW website, and I checked, and that's true. It kind of surprised me. So maybe there's a new one coming out. Don't know what the deal is, but they've generally been pretty good about having a starter box you could begin with. Uh, do you need it? Not really. You can kind of get everything else you need there or third party, uh, other than the little tokens for what your ace maneuvers are, but you, you could use a, a die if you wanted to. Um, but anyway, so this, the first starter box, Wings of Vengeance, that one was Orcs versus Imperial Navy. Uh, that was actually the, the one that was the test release, for lack of a better term. And I've heard from more than one, so from a handful of GW employees, that it actually didn't do well in the UK. And it didn't sell dramatically large numbers in the UK, but the US response was huge. And so that's what gave Games Workshop uh, the impetus and the desire to go, okay, we're basically printing money here, boys. Let's put out more little spaceships. Uh, and then they they led on with a series of follow-on releases. So pretty quickly, there was a Rin's World campaign book. Now, I haven't seen it. Casey, I think you've got a copy of, of that. Yeah, and I've only been through it, but it has a lot of, especially like if, you know, like some of us that are real big fans of like 40K, like it really matches the lore. Rin's World is one of the best 40K books ever written to and, you know, it really goes along with, like, the Crimson Fist There's and Crimson Fist so sticking it, has it to a lot of <laughs> with your Thunderhawks. Yeah. It has a lot of immersion and some really cool, like, campaign stuff in there. Like, it's worth it if you can yeah, find it. Yeah, I would say absolutely. pick it up. Um, and I think this is going to be a, tra- a, a trajectory kind of we see the game move on. We'll see what the next campaign book is because they haven't released one. There's rumors, uh, but we'll see. So Skies of Fire was the next starter kit. Tau, Imperial Navy, and Astro Militarum, or Imperial Guard. Uh, so you get things like Valkyries in that box. You get all the Tau ships. Lots of cool options there. But that was the next uh, starter kit. Same kind of rules, same kind of tokens, same kind of uh, paper folding map. Then they came out with a campaign book to fit that starter set. So Taurus, Air War, that went in more detail, had some cool scenarios, had some cool optional rules and and kind of brought out some more ways to play the game, uh, which then led into the third starter set, Wrath of Angels, which was the Eldari versus the Spiegelmarine. Um And so you got your plastic uh, Xiphon fighters and your, uh, your, I'm drawing a blank on my transport, Storm Eagles. Uh, and so that was the third and the last one that has now just gone off of the GW website. So what do you do now if you want to get in the game? Well, first I'd go to either your local FLGS because a lot of them still have copies out there or go to Amazon and see what you can pick up out there. Uh, failing that, 
if you use just some other random tokens, you could pick up everything you need to play as long as somebody else has a map. So you could go pick up like the one of the campaign books. Those have the basic rules in them. You could use that. You could buy the models you want. And you could go from there. Uh, you really, you really would only be missing map boards, of which there's literally thousands of options from Games Workshop and everybody else, or being able to uh, go out and and pick up those individual onesie, twosie things you need. So it is still. I just checked it. It's still the last two starter kits are on Amazon, but also a huge resource is there's two Aeronautica Facebook groups. And in there, if you check their file section, there's whole printouts of the cards, or PDFs of the cards, there's PDFs right. of the tokens, like everything you need. If you can't get that, like yeah, that'll be absolutely. Started, there's there's plenty of support out there. So there's there's two Facebook groups. Uh, what I will caution you and say that one of the Facebook groups is super GW centric. So don't say the word 3D printing in there. Don't talk about anything that isn't GW uh, focused. The other one is fairly open and is like the wild wild west. Uh, you know, they, people try not to share models in there, but inevitably some dude checks in brand new and goes, here's my new 3D model. Uh, as everyone downloads, then tells them, hey, dude, you probably shouldn't post that in here. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, wait, wait, is there, an, is there an AI podcast? Well, there's this podcast, motherfucker. So to quote Trevor, he's like, man, nobody else is doing it. They do like one episode. So I, I was, I was laughing when Trevor posted that. I'm like, man, I, I, I get it. That's my frustration as well. Cause I've gone out and tried to see what other people say about it. And there's some tactics discussions on YouTube. There's obviously unboxings, but it's just this, this point of, Oh, I don't want to do, I don't want to be the only AI podcast, but I, I guess we are right now. So by default, we'll do it. Uh, that's kind of how we got suckered into doing the AI event at Adepticon. Nobody else was doing it. So dummy here raised his hand and said he'd do it. Okay. So to continue with what else is released, uh, Necrons. Necrons are unique because they're Forge World only, at least for now. We'll see what else comes out for the Necrons, but you have to go to Forge World or 3D print uh, what you want to do for, for those guys. Uh, there's also a number of Imperial and Orc and Space Marine ships that are Forge World exclusive. But once again, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I know Brett's so happy because that's all his fancy, uh, fancy Eldari. But what I'll say is the, the Forge World sculpts are good, but you'll have to determine if the time and the effort and the money is worth it, or if you're just going to go ahead and 3d print them because the models are out there for, for almost all of these. Um, but yes, Brett, your Eldari are beautiful from Forge World. I'm just wondering where my Forge World shuttles are that I ordered like three months ago. <laughs> that still says pending. I have to send a nasty gram to the UK uh, to get those. All right. Uh, so other follow-on stuff. There are scenarios out there. I believe they're on... Ooh, I can't remember if they're on Warhammer Community or if they're on the Forge World and... Uh, Games Workshop main sites, but they're out there uh, and there's scenarios that have been written with a variety of cool rules, um, but at least cover a variety of situations. There is also the compendium. Now, the compendium is not a full restating of the rules. It's got a heck of a lot of the optional rules. It, it clarifies a lot of the questions. It's got some new aircraft cards in there but it isn't a full restating of every faction and every possible rule that's out there. So unfortunately the compendium is helping us constrain some of the stuff that 
that may have come out in the last year or so, but it's not an authoritative all-in-one, every single rule and every single scenario and every single uh, faction's aircraft are in there. We'll see if they issue that. I, I, I'll i be honest, Casey, that's kind of what I thought I was going to get when I bought it. I don't know what, what your impressions were when you, uh, when you picked it up. No, I thought the same, but it ended up, you know, it had some expanded rules. It had a quite a few, a lot of Space Marine content. Uh, had the Necrons, obviously, introduced in there. Um, the Tau, it just had their auxiliaries. Right. So you can use Imperial Navy or uh, Imperial Guard stuff. Or, excuse me, yeah. And then, really, for even the Navy, it was just some of the Marauder-like right. variants. And that was it. But it does still have... If it's something you go out there and can find, I would still pick it up, though, because at the front of the book, you know, there's still a lot of info. I think it adds some FAQ right. stuff in there, and it just expands on it. But, uh, oh, and it has the, the right. orc looted stuff, right. which is actually really cool if you're an orc player. So, yeah, if, I mean, I would still, it's still a buy. Yeah, I, I think it, the best up. way to think about it is it's, it's not a full restating of the rules. It's, it's kind of like the old chapter approved where you lumped everything into there that had come out over the last year. And that way people felt like they could get it single source knowing they still had a boxed game to start with. Um, but it does overlap with at least the space Marines in the, uh, in the wrath of angels set. So, okay. Well, we spent a lot of time talking about the game itself. Let's talk a little bit about the factions and, and what we've played. I'll tee it up for Brett first. Cause Brett, uh, is, is the pretty boys. He's the Eldari there with his, uh, color shift hoopty, uh, spaceships, uh, Tell us kind of your take on how the Eldari play and what you've enjoyed or what you've not enjoyed about playing them. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been nothing but fun. Uh, it's a big departure for me because I've been, you know, space boy or a space Marine fanboy. So to do El- Eldari is, you know, a big shift for me, but I, I embraced it. Right. I, I leaned into it. Um, but, um, yeah, they, they're pretty cool because they are super fast, right? They have all the speed generally they have all the maneuvers generally. Uh, they're really dangerous up close, and they really don't have much to do at long distance. So, and they're kind of uh, glass fighters, aren't they? At least uh, I haven't fought the vampires yet, but uh, all the small ones seem to seem to only have you know two uh, two damage points, so they don't have a, a yeah. lot of lost staying power there. Yeah, the smaller ships, if they get shot at, they're kind of going away so you know don't don't get too attached to any particular to any one model on the table because it's probably gonna get smoked <laughs> before you get into you know get into doing stuff but uh, yeah it's kind of cool and the models for, you know for me from a hobby standpoint it's it's a departure from you know flat panels and you know that kind of thing so yeah I'm, I'm i'm digging it cool steve what was your take i know you've you've done imperial navy uh built some models there but you played eldari how did how do you feel those two factions compare? Yeah, well, I played Aldari and I played your uh, I guess it was uh, Space Marines, right. a game right. too with the Xiphon Fighters. Uh, both really cool. Both like you guys were saying, different play style, which I think is neat that all the factions offer a different play style. Uh, man, really looking forward to to the Imperial Navy though. Those uh, Vulture gunships yeah. with like the massive <laughs> Punisher cannon on them are just like. They're really doing it for me. You know, uh, Aldari did have some kind of like, I feel like they're like the tight turn of the, the uh, AI. The, they're world the cheaters. Yeah. Jink just, just call them the cheaters. Just, you just basically make your move 
And then whatever the other person does, you get a free move to just do whatever you want to do to put yourself yeah, in the right yeah, spot. Exactly. It's kind of a weird rule, but <laughs> you know what? Whatever. Maybe Brett will get the the cheater moniker for the for this yeah, game. I guess. I know. think he is pretty much. Casey, Imperial Navy. Uh, I know you played them a little bit. What'd you think as a faction? Yeah, I've heard a couple. I like them. I think they're very similar as like a 40K fanboy too. Like I read the books, Double Eagle, Dan Abnett, you know, the godfather of 40K for writing. Uh, I've read the Thunderbolts and the Lightnings and they felt like they did like in the lore, in the game, in the books. Like the Thunderbolts were just this beefy, like, I mean, to cross over to the P-47. Like it puts out some damage, it can take a hit, you know, it has air to ground ordnance and stuff, which was really fun. And then you had the Lightning, which was this super nimble, fast plane, you know, trying to shoot up, can't really take a hit. But you just have to, I think you have a good mix of, you can also use the Marauder in like a forward gun configuration. You know, it can do some air-to-air stuff, it can do air-to-ground. So I do like it because it's kind of a Swiss Army knife like the other ones. So depending what you're going to go against, you can kind of build yeah, your list. Yeah, I think that's the, but, the big shift for Blood Red Skies players is all of a sudden, some of these aircraft that are classed as bombers are pretty deadly air to air. And so, you know, I know Brett, your bombers at one point had pretty heavy forward firepower. Uh, the, the Marauder, uh, does as well. Uh, so it's kind of, it kind of feels a little bit weird. You're like, this thing's supposed to be a bomber, but it is literally taking out, you know, other fighters. Take your Ju eighty eight night fighter or yeah. your mosquito or something like that. You know your heavy fighter. You mean the mosquito that, that beat every and, you know, other allied fun. fighter? I mean, it, it was the the P sixty one just won because they cheated and and like you know threw the whole competition. I'm sorry, too soon. But yeah, it was cool to be able to take like the Marauder, which is normally you know this big bomber, and put you know all these guns front facing and just line it up perfect. And I also had you know my rear guns and stuff on it. So I really do think they're depending on the situation, you can outfit them how you want. There's plenty of options right. and variants in it, and it's just getting used to each one. You know, the Thunderbolt was this rugged, you know, fighter, and the Lightning, like, I didn't take advantage of the speed like I should because that thing is fast. But it's also, you right. know, it can't take right. a hit. So you really got to play it and learn, but I do like how there's a Swiss Army enough depending yeah, on how I want to play I did not feel that way with Space Marines. Uh, with Space Marines, <laughs> man, so... So they're cool. They have some really neat abilities, neat aircraft. The Zyphon, I play it as a medium and long range airplane. I just get rid of that rotary missile launcher, uh, chiefly because I want to reach out and punch Brett or or Steve in the face at long range when they can't touch me with Eldari stuff. But it's, uh, you have to really take aircraft for discrete roles. Now, something we haven't talked about is, you alluded to it with forward firing and, and rear firing cannons. There are some spaceships in the game, some aircraft that shoot out of their side arcs. And the side arcs are twice as big as a forward or aft arc. So they're 120 degree arcs on the side. And if you have an aircraft with really heavy firepower in those side arcs, you just park it in the middle of the battlefield. So I was watching a couple players and I saw guys do that with fire raptors. So if you know how the Marine fire raptor it is, it's got not just this huge uh, Avenger autocannons uh, in the front uh, it, or Punisher autocannons. It's also got basically two ball turrets, on e- a ball turret on either side. And that shoots some kind of twin linked weapon, whether it's LAS cannons, uh, autocannons, heavy bolters. Uh, so you just drive that thing into the middle of the field and you shoot 
whoever's on either side of you, left or right with it uh, at the appropriate range. And I saw it with a double Thunderhawk list. So the Thunderhawk's in there. I think it's only 44 points before upgrades, something like that. So watched a 250-point list. A Space Marine player brought two Thunderhawks out onto the board and just beat the snot out of his Tau opponent, who you would have thought would have been pretty shooty, but not as shooty as two Thunderhawk gunships. So I, I like the way the Space Marines play. I haven't assembled my Thunderhawk, so I haven't put it on the table yet. Uh, but that'll be one of the things I want to see how how it fits into the list because it seems like it it really is a mobile fire base. And so wherever it goes, you want people to get up close and shoot at it and you'll just maul them. Uh, so, so we'll have to see how that plays. There's a lot of other uh, factions. We haven't played Necrons. None of us are, are lined up on them. Uh, I know we've talked about orcs for a couple different things. Matt, my buddy here, plays orcs. Uh, we need to you know, kind of get some of those people on to give us their perspectives of how those factions play because I'm not starting another damn faction. <laughs> I'm happy where I am with my Space Marines and my Senderhawks um, because I, I think the Space Marine models are pretty damn cool. They go together easy and you can you can build a force pretty quickly. Okay, well, so let's start wrapping this up. Let's let's kind of hit the so what piece of this. You know, GW has a tradition of releasing specialist games and then just punting it a year, two years, three years down the road. Sometimes they last longer. Sometimes they are a single release. You know, what do we think GW is going to do with this one? We've talked about it's a low low barrier cost wise for entry, so it's not bad. You go out there and, and you can literally buy one of the squadron boxes and it'll have what you need for a 150-point game. But is there concern that on anyone's part that GW is just going to kind of orphan this game here soon? Well, there wasn't until Casey started talking about it. So Yeah, he jinxed us. Nice work there, Antares. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. I'm crying still. No, but, but what do you guys think about the the level of the barrier to entry right now. So, so the, the price to get into it, even if you buy a starter set, uh, seems fairly straightforward. It worked out great for me. If you got a buddy that buys the Wrath of Angel starter kit and wants yeah, some dumbass who, who bought one of every starter <laughs> kit then realized he only wanted to play a couple forces. Yeah, so I, I'll freely admit I did that, and, and Brett was the beneficiary of that. But much like we saw with Blood Red Skies, Brett, that's how you and I got into Blood Red Skies. We split a starter kit, uh, and then pretty soon we're like, no, I want all the other stuff from it. I don't think I don't think you'll find yourself going out and buying another one of the exact same starter kits because all the squadron boxes are out there. So if you split a starter kit, you kind of just start buying stuff from squadron boxes. Yeah, I mean, legitimately, 100 bucks, you could get everything you need to play like any army i feel like right like and then yeah that's like what 50 points of uh 40k armies maybe 75 i mean (laughs) i I think it's a super low barrier to entry same as blood red skies you know i i didn't feel like i had to sit down and paint for a year right like i I have a couple ships assembled paint them in a week or two get a 150 150 point uh squadron painted out right so it's not like even like a bolt action army or something like that when you get those figures assembled and you're kind of like looking at that unpainted plastic it's just a very daunting task you know i feel like even that's that's why you primer it that's that's why you have not not necessarily the the gray army of shame but you've got the black or white army of shame (laughs) yeah i i think same as blood red skies get into it easy to get into cheap easy to paint no downside 
and I don't think you've really seen the new GW. They haven't really been dropping games, you know? So you got to think, like, look at Titanicus. People said that when it first came out, the first two years, you know, the releases weren't back. They're still supporting it. Great game later. And sure, it slows down, but you got to think GW is focused on Horse Heresy 2.0 coming out and some other stuff. But you got Titanicus, you got these planes now. This could be a big workup to eventually Epic, and you're not going to regret having well, those we, planes we now. Well, we know it will be. I mean, there's there's no doubt from what the insiders have said that's eventually on the schedule. I'm not sure how how much pain and heartache are between now and then. Uh, I can't wait till we're an Epic podcast. I hate you. You're fired. Where, where, where's the boot button? How do, I, how do I fire you out of the podcast? Um, but uh, the the fact of the matter is there's going to be a lot of cool lead-ons. And you're right. They really haven't, other than this weird dumping of games to get into the kill team arena, how they went through Shadow War and all these other things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's there's at least there's some, some stabilization that's happened with Titanicus. They continue releasing terrain for Titanicus that plays well in AI. There's, you know, AI faction releases, only one of them being Forge World exclusive. And I, guys, I have no idea why that happened. My, my gut feeling is they planned all of these early on. And at some point they had to pull the trigger on, do we put the Necrons in plastic or not? And they just weren't sure at that point and didn't pull the trigger. And so Necrons had to be a, a uh, resin release. I don't know. Um, people, people have still bitched about the Forge World resin, whatever. It's a known constraint. If you, apparently, if you bitch about Forge World resin, you haven't played enough Heresy. <laughs> so you're not trying to putting together uh, full-size ones of these aircraft, much less the small little itty-bitty versions of a Storm Eagle. So I, I think there's... Definitely life to the game. I'm just always, I'm, I'm afraid of them pulling a Middle Earth. So where their line is out there, but there's not as much going on with it. But we've even seen in the last year, there's been a rebirth of scenarios and things in, in the Middle Earth game. So Games Workshop does does funny things. So go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, I hear right. But I've got to think, though, they have some plan. And I guess there's only so many aircraft and variants within, you know, the 40K universe. We know you can have, you know, countless numbers of Space Marine variants, but there's only so many aircraft. But I think they'll still support it. I think you'll see everything fleshed out. And then I think we'll see more campaign books, aces, and stuff like that till we get it all combined. They've got these set pieces in place for Epic, and then it's just all one big yeah, thing. We'll have to see how the scale works out. Um, I, I'm hoping that it, it makes it pretty straightforward to put into a Titanicus uh, full Epic game with all kinds of little crunchy infantry running around and stuff like that. So this is going to sound really bad. This is this is one of the, the so what's that I'm going to say, and it's because I've been playing historical games recently and I've not been in the heresy 40K world, and I've not been in the competitive sides of those world. Here's the so what. If you want to find 40K players that are reasonable and are good human beings, play AI. <laughs> and that's going to sound like a bad <laughs> indictment of 40K players, but I was pleasantly surprised that because there's not a big tournament scene, everybody that showed up wanted to play narrative. And, and I started asking people that showed up at, at Adepticon at the game, I'm like, hey, do you guys, would you be interested in a tournament? What kind of scenarios? And seriously, nobody said they would. They all said, no, we'd rather do narrative stuff. We, you know, we don't want to do a, a tournament. So 
I think there's an interesting subset of 40k players that are playing this game that are not the same ones as are doing the tournaments. So that's good. Uh, that's bad for growing a game because obviously a tournament scene, you know, really, really grows a game's popularity. But I think at least we're getting the 40k and heresy players that we want to, not the win at all costs kind of people. Um, but but it also seems that a lot of the people that play don't play regularly. So almost everybody at both events uh, was like, wow, this is awesome. I'm finally getting to use these miniatures, getting to play the game. It's been a lot of fun, but I can't find other players. So I, I don't know what to say other than maybe none of these people are on Facebook where all you had to do was search for Aeronautica Imperialis. Uh, but uh, there, it seems like there's a lot of people who don't uh, have someone in their local gaming group or in their store that wants to play it consistently. It sounds like a lot of people have bought into it and then people either didn't paint armies or just played it once and those models are sitting there waiting for Epic. I don't know. Casey, what were your what was your take on that after the Texas event? I don't know. I mean, I would think so. That basically there's some going to be a lot of crossover. Some guys are just going to care. You know, they're just all about list building whatsoever. But I definitely think if you do... I think this will have a lot of crossover with anyone who loves aerial war games because there's not a lot of sci-fi aerial stuff out there. You know, you have something all the way from Battlefleet Gothic then down to Blood Red Skies. Like, I think this fits a nice medium. So I think you'll see some crossover, but I think it's really got to be put out there because I think they're focused on so much other stuff. It's not getting the advertising it's needed. Yeah, no, and, and that that is a... I, I guess plausible excuse is, is what it is the way I kind of typify that because they aren't pushing it as hard as they're pushing some of the others. So like any other specialist game of that type, it kind of falls by the wayside. I, I mean, I was even surprised that I guess what I'd call mainline boxed games like Blackstone Fortress still have a lot of copies out there. They're still being produced, even though all the cool secondary content was limited to release those games are still out there and they're out there quietly because I didn't realize till Adepticon when I was looking at copies of Blackstone Fortress that, that people had for sale. And then I went back to the GW website and I'm like, Oh wait, I can still order it even from GW, you know? So it's, it's kind of that sleeper game starter set kind of thing. And and we'll see if that happens. I'm hoping that either they're quickly going to bring out another starter set uh, or that they are going to uh, re-release some combination of them, whether it be, uh, each of the other three in a limited edition or just going back to the Space Marine one. Because there's a faction, there's two factions we haven't talked about. Three, if you think of whether they have airplanes or not. But we haven't talked about Chaos. Chaos doesn't have any of their specific stuff at all anywhere in there. I think you're going to see those Tyranids, there's no Tyranid flyers either. Well, and there's three if you count squats. Because, I mean, we need gyrocopters, man. If we don't have, oh, <laughs> if we don't have dirigibles and gyrocopters... Games Workshop gets an F. F minus. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, too. If you put in any of your local like gaming groups on Facebook, hey, does anyone have Aeronauticus? You'll see dozens of people like, oh, hey, I bought this starter set, but I didn't know anybody was playing. So I think if you put like some effort out there, I think you'll find players. Yeah, everyone yeah, I, has I it. think there's a lot of people but and you just have to either do like I did and shamelessly walk into the Warhammer store and say, uh, what day do the Aeronautica dorks play on, <laughs> and then uh, figure out who who's going to be there? Because it's not a it's not a consistent big push of you know the same thirty people um, showing up to play to play those games. But there's a lot of people that are interested. So even talking to historical gamers, 
especially at Adepticon, it was super hilarious to me to find diehard historical gamers who, because they had spent time playing 40K or Heresy, they looked at them like, oh, that's cool. Oh, I might have to buy models. Uh, so it's, I think, I think it still has that appeal of a lot of the 40K lore and game, but without the huge model count to buy yourself back in. Or I, I think you also feel better learning a new rule set. You're not learning the ninth edition of something. You're learning the second release of Aeronautica Imperialis. So you don't feel like you're caught in this GW, you know, codex and and game release cycle. All right. Any other so what points from any of you other guys? Anything else that you say, well, this is why you should this is why you should be playing Aeronautica Imperialis, because all the cool kids are. Or the cool kids amongst the dorks, whoever those guys are. I'm just I'm just gonna say that it's fun, right? So like I don't like I wouldn't say I'm a historical gamer, a sci-fi gamer. I just like games that are fun, right? And I feel like AI is just a lot of fun to play. You put some spaceships on the table, put some scenery on the table if you want. You have a simple dogfight, or you go after a target. You can learn it in a half an hour, and it's not a game that takes, you know, it's not like 14th century, uh, 4,000 units on stands marching at each other in seven millimeter that takes you nine hours to play a game, right? You play a game in 45 minutes and play another game. So I would say if you like blood red skies, uh, I, I don't see how, how you wouldn't like aeronautica Imperial. Yeah. So it's, it's not like playing pike and shot or black powder. Casey, what are those new games you're playing again? Uh, sorry, you're breaking up. What'd you say? <laughs> Look, I love all games. I want to support all the game companies. I want to put their children through college. That, okay? That's what I said about the medical school students that I paid for a dollar at a time. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Brett, what was, uh, what was your, so what take on it? Why, why should people be playing this game? Well, I was thinking if you're already painting in a similar scale for blood red skies, you might find this a pretty, I don't know, liberating or, you know, invigorating hobby change because yeah. you know you're not you're not bound by any like you know you're not trying to make your you know bf 109 k's look just like the ones that were flown and <laughs> whatever you know well neither was anyone that was making the uh the 40k spitfires and uh, <laughs> and all those yeah, yeah right, I, I, right right exactly so i think it is i think it's a cool way to to get to either uh, you know, break the the creative chains that we kind of have on us. Although it is funny to me, and I was even commenting on Instagram on on one guy's uh, aircraft that were out there, how many times we pulled direct historical paint schemes over. So it was funny to see people that would do some of the Malta Mediterranean schemes and and things like that that look super cool on these sci-fi aircraft, but you just laugh and you're like, well, I kind of picked this up so I wouldn't have to paint any more of those schemes. I I almost went that that route. I was thinking of doing like a Mediterranean, like the desert scheme for the Luftwaffe on mine, which I think would look. It's a, it's a cool looking color combination that that tan and light blue together, but and it's pretty easy to do too. Uh, but it, anyway, I, I find it to be a satisfying paint scheme on the smaller planes. But ultimately, I decided to do something totally different, like to really depart from you know, kind of the, the hobby, I don't know, painting grind at 
I'm typically in just to try something totally different. And, you know, in the end, I was pretty satisfied by doing that. I, I think it's kind of funny. I've seen a number of Eldari forces recently in color shift. So I think people are, are getting a chance to, to do things that they haven't done with some of their armies that are so regimented to primary colors that, you know, with the aircraft, they can do, they can do some cool things and, and just experiment with painting techniques and stuff like that. So I got to ask, is that the right terminology? Are we calling them armies? Are we call them squadrons? Like, I, I don't know, dude. Like, what's the terminology? The, the fact is everybody gets so bent about it because uh, the guys over at Anything But A One and some of those other podcasts are like, we know you're really a 40K guy if you call them factions. You know, I I don't know. Aerial armies? Uh, yeah, what do you call it? Casey, what do you call it? I would call it squadrons or just forces. <laughs> I don't know. What is, G, what oh, is GW trademark? Yeah, exactly. What, yeah, what, called, what, right? they, what have they said you can't use? Whatever word you can't use, that's yeah, exactly what you should call used. them. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, guys. That's awesome. I appreciate everyone talking about Aeronautica Imperialis tonight. This is just a quick intro. We're going to spend a lot more time, hopefully doing some uh, on video as well, to talk through some of the uh, the constraints of the game, some things you got to kind of remember in your mind, talking with your hands, shooting your watch. Uh, Brett, who thinks he's some cool aviation guy just because he has a degree in it. Uh, <laughs> That's Brett's move for his ships they just move like this well no they just that's no no, no that, that, that's 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 oversimplifying it they just like where where are you i'm moving right behind you oh wait you're over here i'm moving behind you over here yeah cheaters damn cheaters but anyway i want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast please go out review us rate us tell us what you think i will say it has been hilarious over the last couple of weeks the number of times people have said to any one of us, whether we're at a convention or we're talking to people on the phone planning things, and they're they're saying things like, oh, yeah, I listen to your podcast. And I love your podcast. My initial response is, man, you must have a very boring, sad life <laughs> if you're taking time out of your day to listen to us idiots. Um, but really, we, we appreciate all the listeners. Thanks for the feedback. Uh, thanks for dropping us a line on the contact form on the website to ask rules questions or to ask what the the status of a couple of our projects are. Uh, we're always happy to talk about it, but you know, sometimes we're not the best self uh, publication and marketing telling everybody on Facebook what, what we're up to. Cause usually that means we're drinking tequila, drinking beer and playing games, but you know, thanks for everyone for engaging with us. Let us know what you want to have us talk about. Let us know what you don't want us to talk about. And really most importantly, go out there, build a sense of community and help us get these games to be played. Because trust me, there's no way lead pursuits making every convention that's out there. <laughs> we, I'd love to, if I could figure out how to have a job of doing that, I would. But, uh, the, uh, the sad reality is we can't be at all these, but our listener base can. So go out there, host events, try some scenarios, have some fun. And most importantly, build a sense of community with the other players out there. Thank you all very much. We will talk to you again next week with another episode of the Lead Pursuit Podcast. 